It's a pleasure to have you listening to my show today. My sincerest desire is for you to get something from it that will make your life richer, fuller, and safer. My name is Reverend Wynn Henderson. As an ordained Christian minister and a retired medical doctor, I have a dual perspective to bring you content to solve problems in your life. This podcast is the longest-running, single-hosted, spiritually-based radio internet talk show in America. It's been on the air for over 25 years. I bring you information about the disease of addiction, about your purpose in life, and investigative reporting on truth just below the surface. Today's podcast brings back one of my favorite guests, Dr. Ralph LaGuardia, and Dr. LaGuardia's premier book, he's written other ones, is The Bible of Alternative Medicine. It's up there in the 500-page range, and it's got everything that you would like to know, but are afraid to ask your doctor because your doctor is only uh, going to tell you what conventional medicine has to say. Uh, Ralph's had several programs previously. You can go to the search engine and put his name on and go back and listen to all his previous programs, but they are 1046, 1047, 1051, and then this one today, 1052. Um, We're going to start with talking about something that we mentioned briefly previously, but it's so important that I want Dr. LaGuardia to talk about it again. And Ralph, would you go over the wonders of vitamin D3? It would be my pleasure, one. So vitamin D, well, first of all, vitamins come in two types, fat-soluble and water-soluble. Soluble means what they dissolve in. All vitamins are fat-soluble, meaning vitamins A, D, E, and K, and your multivitamin. The only vitamins that dissolve in water are all the B vitamins and vitamin C. So consequently, since they dissolve in water, you could take them on an empty stomach just with a glass of water and you'll be fine. However, if you're taking any of the other fat-soluble vitamins, A, D, E, and K, and as I mentioned, a multivitamin because it has a mix of fat and water of soluble vitamins in it, you have to take them with a fatty meal to absorb them. Now, it doesn't essentially it doesn't mean you have to eat animal fat. You could eat any oil is a fat a liquid fat at room temperature. Uh, olive oil would work great. Uh, any oil, whatever one you prefer, uh, olive oil is is the healthiest. Or any you know, and most of your meals would have enough red red meat or fried foods or pizza would have enough fat in it to absorb it. But if you don't take it with a fatty meal, uh, you might as well not bother because it's going to pass right through you. Well, let's, now, uh, let's clear something up. When you're going to take those vitamins, should you take the fat before them or afterwards? And, you know, what's the together. criteria? Just take, it doesn't matter if you, you know, because, you know, as you know, it takes a while for your stomach to empty out. You take it sometime during your meal. So I, I keep them right on my, I have actually A, D, E, and K all separate. And I keep them on my dinner table, and I eat them. I just take one of each at night with dinner. Um, and, you know, any time during the meal would be fine um, because there's enough, there's enough churning in your stomach from the digestive process that would mix up 
any fats and proteins in there. And as the enzymes are breaking them down, um, it'll mix with them and be absorbed with them and go into your um, intestines that way through the, uh, the intestinal lacteals and stuff. But it, it works very well. But vitamin D has, you know, it's it's really come into its own. It was probably in the last decade there's been thousands of papers written on it uh, and, and the wonderful benefits of it. Normally you get vitamin D uh, either two ways, either in food or from uh, sunshine because as you, your body has it, so your skin breaks down vitamin D, uh, excuse me, produces vitamin D from sun striking it. And interestingly enough, it does so on a cholesterol backbone. That's how it's manufactured by the body. So if you sit out in the sun and want to get your vitamin D, um, that's a great way to get it. It's the most healthy way, and it has several other factors. Sunshine will lower your cholesterol, it'll lower your blood pressure, and it improves mood. So vitamin D is really great for you overall. The irony is almost everyone is vitamin D deficient that I check. It's rare that unless they're supplementing, it's rare that I find someone who has adequate vitamin D levels. And the irony is the my darker skin patients, the darker they are, the lower their vitamin D because the melanin in their uh, in their skin is blocking the, the the sunlight and because they evolved in a tropical environment where there was they were in the sun all day. So now you uh, take, Ralph, uh, well, if you had a patient, you sent them to the laboratory to get a vitamin D3 level. What would be deficient? 20 nanograms or less? According to Quest, it's 30 or less. However, people in the know about vitamin D know that that's just not true. That's still inadequate. Um, that's that's the minimal level you, you have to prevent rickets and other problems. However, to the, the optimal level for your health, and there's always a difference between minimum and optimal, is about a, in the 60 to 80 range. That's the sweet spot for vitamin D. And so if you want vitamin D3, it's more active than vitamin D2. Um, and so, but but w when you have that, uh, the vitamin D, I mean, it has protein benefits for your body. It, as I mentioned already, it lowers your blood pressure. Uh, the sunlight part does that. The vitamin D builds bone because it helps absorb calcium. And so it builds strong bones. It, it strengthens your heart. It strengthens your immune system. It's more like a hormone than a vitamin is what I tell patients. And because people get hung up on a vitamin part of it. And, um, and overall, it helps prevent, helps prevent and treat all respiratory tract infections, including the flu and COVID. I uh, personally have not had a, a flu shot in my adult life in the last 30, 35 years since I've been a physician. I haven't had one. And I've never caught the flu ever because my vitamin D levels are high, you know, and it's my belief that flu is actually a consequence of low vitamin D levels and it makes your, makes our immune system susceptible to it. And that's, and you could, and you could prove that by the fact that flu season starts in the, typically around, you know, November, December, mostly December and January. And that's when the peak of it is every year in the United States. And they, the Navy did some interesting studies. They studied submariners, the sailors on submarines, and they wanted to see how prolonged lack of sunlight being underwater for six months 
what that would do to their vitamin D levels. And so they periodically tested their blood. And what they found was that it, it, since it is fat soluble, it's stored in the fat. So if you have good sun exposure during the summer, your body kind of stocks up on vitamin D and it's stored in your fat and it will release that and take it out of your fat as needed during the year. But they found that by after three months of not being in the sun, most of the guys had abysmally low levels. So that's when they start supplementing them to keep them healthy. So if you know, so what I do is with my patients is well, I was just sort of finish what I was saying earlier. My my dark skin patients and my very fair skin patients both have very low vitamin D levels. You would think, well, why is that? You know, they have no melanin protecting their skin, but their the mothers are slathering them with um, sunblock because they're afraid of the sun getting burnt. So they consequently have the same risk factor as patients of color, and so. Uh, I find most patients are very low on it, and and so I supplement. I mean, mothers are making a huge mistake. The sun is great for you. The burning is not good for you, you know. And it's it dermatologists have it all wrong also. Sunburn sunburns cause melanoma, not sun exposure. And you could prove that by the fact that if sun exposure was the case, outdoor workers would have higher levels of it than office workers. But it's just the opposite. Construction workers and outdoor workers have lower rates of melanoma than office workers because they're outside all the time. They don't get burned as much. The skin gets acclimated to it. Huh. You can even see that here in New England. You see, there was no skin cancer years ago. In, in New England, originally, it was populated by Northern Europeans for the most part, English, Irish, German, Scandinavian, Polish, Russian. Uh, that was the main ethnic groups here, and Scottish. And they were all fair-skinned. But you would see these pictures of these old farmers, these old Yankee farmers. I even have some of my practice. These guys are deeply tanned because they're outside with the seasons. They're outside all year round. And as the days get longer, the skin gets acclimated to it. And uh, they have very deep tans with no burns and no skin cancer and all the things you would associate with fair-skinned people being outside all the time because, as I said, it's a consequence of burns, not a consequence of sun exposure. Which is, we're, we're designed to be in the sun. If sun exposure killed us, we would have died out as a, as a species a long time ago. We, up until this century, we were outdoors all the time. Ralph, talk uh, to the uh, question of how much vitamin D as a supplement uh, should I take? Uh, because I'm taking 10,000 international units per day. I have taken mm -hmm. as much as 20,000 with no, mm -hmm. no harmful effects. But you can go into any pharmacy and get 5,000 uh, international unit capsules. Um, they're inexpensive and non-prescription. So what would you say? Um, well, it depends. I typically start patients on 50,000 units of D3 once a week just to make it easier for them. Um, you know, and I tell them just do it every Sunday or pick a day that you'll remember and just do it that way. Uh, but I have a lot of patients supplement daily, and I typically, after a few months, uh, will bring them back and just check their levels. Because as with all fat-soluble vitamins, they have potential for toxicity. It's low, but it's certainly there. Um, and same thing for vitamin A, E, and K. Um, it's interesting, during the Polar Explorers, I think it was Admiral Byrd, when he went to the South Pole, he um, they mistakenly ate polar bear liver. And they hunted it, killed a polar bear. They were hungry, and they ate the liver. 
and all, all of them became sick except there was a black man with them who did who was helping them and didn't didn't like liver and wouldn't eat it. And thank God because he saved all of them. They they were hallucinating from the uh, the toxic vitamin A levels that they had. They were vomiting. They were sick. They were down for days. It would have they would have all died if it wasn't for the one guy who didn't do it. So there is toxicity with it. I haven't never seen toxic toxicity with vitamin D. Even though I've seen patients have a, as high as 110, 120, I just lower it. Then I tell them, okay, we'll cut back on it because um, you know I want to keep it in a, in a spot where it works optimally in that 60 to 80 range. So what I would say is it all, it's hard to give a definitive answer. If you're not sure, I would probably start out at 5,000 units a day uh, for a couple of months, always with fat, and then check your levels after a month and see where you're at. Now, if you're if you're on 35 or 40, then bump it up to 7,000 or, or 10,000 even, and then recheck it again a month later. But that's the best guide to do that with. Okay, um, let's. Uh, I, I think you've already said, or if you hadn't, I'll say it. Vitamin D at adequate levels is probably the best single thing you could take to keep from getting COVID or the flu. That's my correct. Yes, that's absolutely true. It's in fact, um, all, you know, it's interesting because the the medical authorities recognized early on that the low vitamin D level was the greatest risk factor of all for poor outcomes, and the people that got COVID and wound up in the ICU had the lowest levels. But oddly enough, they didn't make the leap to saying we should supplement it which I always thought was so strange. You're recognizing that the deficiency is causing the problems. Why not supplement it? And so what I do, in all the studies that they did on COVID were mixed. They had mixed results, and they kept saying, well, then vitamin D must not work. We would see consistent results. I read every study. I was fanatical about it because I was curious. And I, every one of them made the same flaw. They never told the patients who they were administering the vitamin D to to take it with fat. So it was completely random whether they absorbed it or not, and hence they had random results. Now, what I do is I have just this week we've had a big outbreak of COVID and flu in the area, and I've, most of my patients are already on vitamin D, uh, 50,000 a week. So what I do is tell them to take it every day for three or four days and then skip a week or two and just to get over it because it's directly, I mean, it, it, it wipes out the flu. It wipes out all respiratory illnesses, including COVID. And works very well against them, but it's your, it's it, in my opinion, it's the best thing to have to prevent COVID and the flu is a high vitamin D level. There's studies showing that vitamin, adequate vitamin D levels are eight times more effective than a flu shot, which, as you know, is you know, some some years we get the wrong types because they go to Asia where the flu outbreaks occur, and they uh, the CDC goes there and they test the most three most common variants they could find. And that makes the trivalent flu vaccine that they give here in the West, hoping that before it reaches here, it'll be a problem. Uh, I mean, it'll be a solution for it. And so, uh, but vitamin D, nothing works better against a respiratory tract infection. And you'll, you'll like, you know, it'll, it'll shorten it. I'd like to uh, make a comment, and that is it is very foolish for any person to allow a healthcare professional to inject something into their body for which they can't give you an explanation of 
the benefits and the risk and can't give you a, an informed consent. And you can't get an informed consent because you don't know what's in the flu shot. You don't know what's in the uh, RNA shot. And, mm -hmm. and if you can't get informed consent, uh, it's very foolish to let somebody shoot anything into your body that they can't tell you what it is. Um, right. That's my opinion. You know, the, I, I, I totally agree. The COVID, I mean, the MSTR RNA vaccines developed by Robert Malone, uh, who's a great physician and, a, and a, just a humanitarian, and he's, he's come out from the very beginning and said, this, this is not a safe vaccine. This is not meant for, you know, to be distributed to billions of people. And he's been totally against it from the beginning because all of the initial animal studies they did prior to COVID on the messenger RNA vaccines, they had one problem. The animals all died. And so they had, they had it was a flaw to it. And they, they, they still haven't figured out what the flaw is. But in addition to which, it's gene therapy. There's never been a vaccine that changes your DNA. And that has the potential to do that and consequently make the spike protein forever, which itself has, has problems. But there's so many ways to prevent it. I've always been one to say it's better. I, I'd much rather build a great defense for my body than, than a great offense against you know, blasting things out of there. We're great at offensive medicine, uh, physicians. We're, we're great at finding things, a silver bullet to fix one thing and, and treat another thing. I mean, that's our specialty. We're really weak at prevention. And I think that's our Achilles heel as far as the profession. I think we should do a lot more preventative stuff like boosting your immune system, which has nothing but beneficial side effects. There's no downside to boosting your immune system, none at all. Because all infections occur for one reason, you've overcome your immunity. And if you build up that wall for immunity, that makes that just raises the bar for any bacteria, virus, or fungus to infect you. And I'd much rather do that, and then if something gets beyond that, then treat it. But at least you give you our bodies are beautifully designed. Why 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 not take advantage of it? You know, but we do all the wrong things for fever, for example. Patients immediately take Tylenol and they have a fever. That is the stupidest thing to ever do. And I, I try to teach patients that all the time. Vir your body doesn't do anything by mistake. If you have an infection, you have you the, the bugs that infect us can only do so because they live at our body temperature. A bug that lives at 90 or it lives at 103 cannot infect us because as they enter our body, they would die off because the terrain is not welcoming them. So what our bodies do immediately is give itself a fever, not just to make you uncomfortable. That's not the reason for it. It does it to, to make it uncomfortable for the microorganism. It cooks it alive by raising it up so it can't live at that temperature. So I tell patients all the time, unless your fever hits 103 or something, which hardly ever happens in adults, you know, you let it burn because it will shorten the length of the illness and it'll help. you're taking away your body's best defense against any infection by blunting a fever. Okay, well, let's get on to uh, part two of this series we're doing with you and part two different non-prescription medications. And uh, we're not going to get to them in a deep level, but you just make some kind of comment because they can get to, to your excellent book, uh, uh, The Bible of Alternative Medicine, 
and delve deeper into it. But the first one is sodium bicarbonate or baking soda. Yeah. Well, what I try to do is I try to, in my all my books, is educate the reader, empower them that they can pick up this book and go, okay, let me find out the thing. First of all, I start off with the basic basics you need to maintain your health. And then I go into, okay, you've got that. You've got sleep, nutrition, hydration, all that. Now what do you do? Now you have to have some tools in case minor things pop up. So uh, I use a lot of, of these different ones. In the second cha chapter, I list a lot of them. Uh, baking soda for one, uh, DMSO, um, which is great painkiller. Um, you know, Epsom salt, which has tons of uses. I mean, pa patients are always blown away by the fact they come in with orthopedic problems, and I tell them to soak in some Epsom salt, and they look at me like, "Doc, doc come on!" And I say, "Listen to me. I give them, I, I hand out written instructions to do it right." But Epsom salt is magnesium sulfate, and Epsom salt has amazingly beneficial uses for orthopedic injuries, sprains, pulled muscles, uh, things of that nature. And uh, so what I do, but the key thing with it is it takes about a half hour to cross your skin. And so what I do is tell patients to get in the hottest bath they can and put two or three cups of Epsom salt in there, stir it in good, and then immerse themselves in that bath. But you have to stay in there a half hour for it to cross your skin. But once it does so, the, um, the magnesium sulfate relaxes all nerves, muscles, ligaments. It soothes them. It also will relieve any constipation you have. It'll help that as well. But I always tell them, as you exit the bathtub, be careful because your legs will be rubbery because it's relaxing everything. But you'll sleep like a baby because magnesium also helps you sleep. And uh, it'll eliminate. It works so good for um, eliminating you know, muscle spasms, people wrench their backs and stuff. Uh, I just did, I was telling you earlier, we were discussing before the show, I hurt my back when I live on a horse farm. And uh, last night I took an Epsom salt bath uh, when I got in because of, of just, I threw a bucket of water and threw out my lower back, just a spasm. It wasn't a disc herniation or anything. And uh, I knew that would work the best. And it really does. I mean, patients are shocked how good it works. Uh, Epsom salt is great stuff. Magnesium is great stuff for you overall because the 300 enzymes in the body need magnesium. You know, so if you just take a few things, magnesium, zinc, a few other minerals, you, you can feed um, seven, 800 different enzymes in your body. And enzymes, as you know, is how everything works. Enzymes speed up chemical reactions that make your body function well. And so you need magnesium, as they call it, the spark of life. I mean, it's essential for everything. Um, I always thought it was interesting. There was... Uh, in human hemoglobin, the central molecule is iron to carry oxygen. Uh, and the um, chlorophyll, the, it's almost the exact structure as hemoglobin, except it has magnesium in the middle instead of iron. And so it's like plant life needs that, that to flow in it. But iron and magnesium are the sparks for life, and your body needs it. It's essential. But, I, you know, I use a lot of other ones. I use, honey has... A million uses too. I use honey a lot in the practice. Um, honey is interesting because you can, it never goes bad. You can eat thousand year old honey. And if they've actually found honey in, in the Egyptian pharaoh's tombs and it's still edible because honey um, is bactericidal. It kills bacteria, it kills viruses, and it kills fungi. And it, and it releases its own um, um, peroxide. 
and to kill things inside of it. But honey is fabulous for you. It's full of good enzymes uh, and bioactive stuff, and but it works great for uh, wound injuries. The Romans used it all the time to prevent wound infections, um, and it promotes healing because it seals off the wound, prevents any infection, and and nourishes the wound. It keeps it moist. I have tons of patients who go to these wound clinics and come back with these thousand dollar salves that they can't afford. And they go, oh, I don't know what to do, doc. And I said, just get some honey on it and put it on it and cover it up and change. And what you do is you put a double dressing on the outside of four by fours. When the outer one gets wet, then you change both of them because honey will draw fluid into the wound. It really helps it heal quickly. And there, and there's different kinds. There's Manuka honey from uh, New Zealand that has the, the highest, uh, it's a medicinal honey. They call it Manuka factor. It has the highest healing factor of all honeys. Uh, and that's made from the Manuka plant. And um, the flowers on the Manuka plant by the bees there, but that—that's the—that and that's ones you'll see. I, I forget what they call it, miracle honey or healing honey. I forgot the name of it. Oh, med honey, med M E D I, med honey. Um, and that's just Manuka. Yeah, it's expensive. And you can use local honey; it'll work. I, I mean, honey also works allergies. I used uh, sugar to pack into wounds back thirty, forty years ago, and. That seemed to work a little uh, well too. Hmm. Also, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things. I mean, you know, these these old things work great, and, and there's a reason for them. I mean, iodine is another one I talk about in the book. Iodine, as you know, we still use to this day in hospitals as uh, betadine to clear clear surfaces. It's it's directly bactericidal, so it kills bacteria. It's viricidal, kills viruses, kills fungi, everything. It's a fungicide, and it, it, it does so so quickly that no resistance develops. It hits them at multiple levels. But uh, iodine is also great for you. I mean, every cell in your body needs iodine. You can't live without it. And uh, there's a guy uh, named Jorge Fleshas, F-L-E-C-H-A-S, done some amazing work. I believe he's in Virginia. And he studied iodine. Um, and wh what he found was, it was interesting, as you know, when you're pregnant, if you have a deficiency of iodine, the baby is born brain damaged with a small microcephaly, small brains called a cretin, and they're damaged because the immune system, the nervous system, excuse me, needs iodine to properly develop. But oddly enough, we don't give iodine to pregnant women. And it's the oddest thing because if you do, and flesh us has done this, the the flip side is true. It'll raise the IQ. Of, Average of 20 points on average of a child if a mother supplements while she's pregnant. Why, in God's name, are we not telling every woman to do this? Uh, it's beyond me. What do you think? You know, I have. What do you think about a iodine, a nasal lavage, if you're oh, around COVID and fabulous, fabulous. Uh, they did that during the 1918 flu. That Spanish flu of 1918 that killed a whole lot of people. Uh, that that was flu was interesting. That flu killed them, killed middle-aged people, and um, excuse me, killed yeah middle-aged people and the young. It didn't kill the old that much. And it, the presumption is that there was an earlier flu that that gave them antibodies to it that was similar to it, but not as as uh, deadly as fatal. And so that 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 flu actually ended World War One. Because so many guys died on the troop ships because it targeted the you know men in their twenties 
But interesting enough, what they did was they impregnated at that time cloth face masks with iodine, or some 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 doctors would paint the inside with Q-tips of patients' nostrils with iodine because it kills everything, and that, and that worked well to prevent things. And so to this day, iodine is very useful, and I use it in uh, with patients. I tell them to dilute it uh, with you know with, with uh, sterile water and just flush it into their nose using either a turkey baster or whatever they have, they have to do it and just lavage out their nose. And you can do the same thing in your mouth. You can gargle with it. Um, and you only need a few drops of iodine and some water. It works really well. I mean, it's still used to, to, to this day to disinfect water. So it works great for all other things. But also you can nebulize them. You can take, um, and I've been doing this a lot for COVID and a lot for respiratory tract infections. I get a nebulizer. And you get the desktop ones, not the handheld ones, are too weak. But even a desktop one's only like eighty bucks on Amazon. And you get and that, and you get normal saline. You can't use water because it's too uh, hypotonic. You need something that's isotonic or similar to body fluid, so it doesn't draw in fluid. And you, I, I take betadine, excuse me, uh, peroxide, put it in saline, and I add a drop of betadine to that. And so the peroxide goes in. And you nebulize that, you breathe it in, and you can do it as many times as you want. And that goes in, and the peroxide breaks down. The chemical formula for peroxide is H2O2. And what, what does that break down? It breaks down to water and oxygen. It has no side effects. The only side effect it has is if you, use, if you don't dilute it enough, sometimes it gives a little burning in your throat, but that's minor and nothing. But uh, I have patients do that all the time, and then you add the drop of betadine to it, and that really kills off the infections. I have had patients they've sent home with um, COVID from the hospital in their 80s and stuff saying there's nothing they can do for them, just go home, see what happens. And my nurses, one of my nurses, her father was that way, 88 years old. She was crying in the office. She goes, my father's going to die. They sent him home. He can't do anything for him. And uh, you know, it was when the hospitals were full at the time of COVID. And I said, bring him into the office. And he could barely breathe and walk a few feet. And I brought him in five days in a row um, and gave him for three times a day Gave him nebulizer treatments, and by the end of the week, he was fine, completely recovered, no side effects. And uh, a guy in Pittsburgh, not Pittsburgh, excuse me, in Detroit, um, Dave Bronstein, done a lot of work with with iodine, and he too took um, COVID patients during the height of the pandemic and treated 200 of them with uh, peroxide and uh, betadine nebulizers and had 199 completely recover. One guy he gave ozone to as well, ozone therapy, and that, that helped him recover. But that's an amazing recovery rate. He tried to print this stuff, and they threatened to prosecute him. They went after him. He said, "I'm just giving you my results." And they, you know, there was oddly enough, there was absolutely no patience or anything for any anything but the accepted COVID mandated theories. You came out and. and were thinking outside the box or came up with some other stuff that would work well against it. The powers that be had just no patience for it. They would shut you down and take your licenses. So lots of doctors were fearful of, of really whack-a-mole, stick your head up and get crushed, uh, unfortunately. But there were some really good therapies coming from what I call the medical underground of doctors who were just willing to do anything for their patients that work. I mean, ivermectin, all these different things. It was, it was no, we used that for years, the stuff. And it was never controversial. Plaquenil, we used for years. All of those things, you know. And then, and then when it came out, 
uh, at the time of COVID, they were all of a sudden were controversial, but there was absolutely no reason for it. They're really good drugs and safe drugs. Oh, well, back in the day when this was getting started, an epidemiologist uh, from Yale said that if uh, the government would release the stockpiles of hydroxychloroquine and people would start using it, that the the epidemic would be over in a month. But of course, right. of course, they didn't listen to him, and you see what happened. Right. Well, hydroxychloroquine is interesting because it's what's called an ionophore, I-O-N-O-P-H-O-R-E, ionophore. And what that means is it acts, it opens an ion channel into the cell. And so how hydroxychloroquine works, it opens this ion channel into the cell, and it allows zinc to enter into the cell. Zinc has a positive charge. The outside of the cell has a positive charge. So it can't. It has to be transported across somehow because it re, light charges repel, and and so consequently, when they first did the studies with hydroxychloroquine, they didn't give zinc, and they said, "Oh, we're not sure if this works." And then they gave zinc, and it worked very well, because zinc, once it enters the cell, it's not viricidal; it doesn't kill the virus, but it prevents it from replicating, which is great because then it just stops it dead in its tracks. Now, interestingly enough, there are there are natural substances. That, that are also ionophores. One of them is a plant-based substance called quercetin, and quercetin works great. And so I use that. I have a thing called the Gang of Seven I, that I use against COVID and against any viral or respiratory illness. Um, in fact, you can even get it at prosperwellness.com. Uh, it's Prosper Wellness. That's where they sell it. But it's it, uh, what I designed was it's quercetin with zinc. So that helps enter the cell. It has iodine, um, iodine, zinc, selenium, vitamins A, C, and D. And that combination are all things that boost your immune system, have no side effects except beneficial stuff, and are, are directly viricidal or bactericidal to many organisms. So it's great stuff, and it's natural and has no side effects. So that kind of stuff, which we should be promoting, we're not. Which drives me crazy. But. Which one of your books lists that the best? Uh, infected secrets from the medical underground. Okay. So you know you could easily, and I and I tell you exactly how to do it if you want to do it at home. You don't have to buy it together. Uh, you know you could easily do it yourself. These are all over-the-counter medications. They're all readily available either in your local pharmacy or at Amazon. Uh, and they're, they're, I'll give you the exact formulas for mixing them. It's not any, any great thing. You could just sit down and do it. It's very simple. Right. Because my goal is is to empower patients. You know. Uh, on this list in part two of your book, you've got vinegar. What about vinegar? Well, vinegar vinegar has many uses as well. Um, vinegar is, it works great um, to invigorate the body because it helps, uh, even though it's a weak acid, it helps alkalinize it and, and it helps boost your immune system. So it worked really good for that. Um, it works good for weight loss. It works good for a lot of things. It works great for kidney stones. But uh, it has, there's a lot of benefits, and I, and I try to get into them. You know, and it, you try to get the, um, I use apple cider vinegar. Um, I use that um, m- Mother Bragg's apple cider vinegar is a great brand. Uh, and it has that 
um, mother in it, they call it, the original uh, bacteria, and it helps ferment it. And that's really good for you. It, it's good for your, it's good for invigorating, it good, it's good to give you energy, it's good to prevent illnesses because the body ha- is, when it's alkaline, it's healthy. When it's acidic, that's where a lot of viruses and cancers and different things flourish in that environment. And so uh, lemon juice, different things that will help alkalinize you, oddly enough, even though they're weak acids, um, by the time when they're absorbed, they change inside your body and you wind up being more alkaline. But lemon juice is great for you as well. Um, you know, and, uh, once again, with kidney stones and stuff, you know, citric acid, in most kidney stones are oxalates, firm oxalates, calcium oxalate stones, are two types, calcium oxalate and uric acid. The calcium oxalate is the most common kind, but I think it's about 70 to 80% of them. And uh, that's the kind I've got. And, uh, and so citric acid neutralizes uh, calcium oxalate. So that's why urologists will tell you to squeeze lemons into water and drink that. And so there's a lot of little things you can do that, that really can boost your health uh, in, in so many ways and prevent some illnesses and stuff. And just to provide you with good nutrients, I mean, organic lemons are great for you. So that, those, all those kind of things are good. And, you know, I, I go over them in great detail you know, in a book and try to show you different ways to use them. One more question about vinegar. Um, you said apple cider vinegar. How do you dose yourself yep. on that? Uh, one tablespoon twice a day. Just swallow it. It's hard to get down. Hard to get down. You know, you can dilute it in water just to make it more palatable. You know, uh, but as long as you get, it, you don't. You know, now they have it in capsules. I'm just not sure how efficacious it is in capsules. So I don't recommend taking the capsules or the pills of it uh, for it. I think in the best form is that Bragg's apple cider vinegar. It's cheap. It's, it's everywhere. You can get, any store has it. All the grocery stores even have it. And uh, but you know, I I'm hardcore, so I just take it in the mouth. But you can dilute it down if you can't take it, and even put a little honey in it if you want to sweeten it if, you, if it's not palatable for you. Because um, honey always comes in. It's always good for your body as well. So you know, it's easy. It's cheap. It's readily accessible. It's got all the things I like for a treatment for patients. Well, there you have it, Doctor Ralph Laguardia. The book is the Bible of alternative medicine. Everybody should have one of these in their house. You can find out something about practically everything in this book. And his other book is called Infected. I would get that one, too. It's also a great book. Ralph's going to be back again with part three, and we're going to talk about various medical problems that you might have and what you might do about them. And you'll want to come back for that one. Uh, Ralph, uh, it's been great to have you on the show again. Uh, oh, thank you for having me, Wayne. I really appreciate it. Anything in closing? Um, yeah, I would just like to tell patients that they're, they're, you know, your health, people always make the mistake of worrying about their health and, and treating it when they're sick. I mean, and the best time to treat to improve your health was yesterday. You know, start right away. Don't wait. And these books will empower you. They'll teach you just little things, little tweaks you can make in your lifestyle that will pay off in spades down the road, you know, uh, further on because prevention is key. It's much harder to fix something that's broken rather than prevent it from breaking. And so I'm much in that school of thought. I think that you should be proactive with your health and 
take certain vitamins and avoid certain foods and try to eat organically and more healthy if you can, uh, because we're not made to eat this processed garbage that they're giving us for food. Made to, so I tell patients always eat on the outside aisle of the supermarket. Don't go on the inside. Eat the fresh fruit and vegetables, meat and fish. That's where the healthiest foods are. Great. Okay, Ralph, uh, uh, thanks again for your time and your expertise. It's been very... My pleasure. And now I'll say that I have uh, a mission in life, uh, and my mission in life is to spread a message that there is a cure for every addictive behavior, and this is a spiritual cure, cure. and the treatment program is profiled in my book, Freedom from Addiction 4, the final message. That's the number four. If you meet three simple criteria, everybody that meets these criteria cures their own personal addictions. Uh, My book is now available as Kindle on Amazon.com. And soon it will be available as a paperback. I have three free resources where you can start your journey. The first is a link to this podcast, and the link is freedomfromaddiction.libson.com. And no spaces, no capitals, and spell Libson, L-I-B-S-Y-N. The second is a link to my website, where you can find out more about my work with addiction. It is freedomfromaddiction, the number four, dot com. And the final resource is my Twitter account. You will search at HugoTheArtist on twitter.com. There you will find over 2,300 inspirational and educational pearls of wisdom. And thanks for listening to the program today. Try to get your family, your friends, your associates to listen to it and get them to subscribe, uh, which is free, uh, so that they can be brought up to date on the truth just below the surface.